0: Well, good morning. You know, last Sunday, I, um, I had tried to convince Pastor Jeremy to let us lower him through the hole in the roof. Um, I felt like if we were going to have a hole in the roof, we should use it to our advantage. Um, but something about that just maybe not being super safe... Uh, to do was I was kind of overrode on that but I I, I want y'all to know I did put it out there I thought it would have been an interesting element but man aren't you thankful (laughs) that a hole in the roof (laughs) can't stop us meeting in church (laughs) like I had a friend and I were talking and I we had some damage at our house and um, she said are you stressed out (laughs) and you know what I thought for a minute I thought I'm not why am I not stressed out stressed out is kind of a normal go-to for me why am I not stressed out and then I just thought man you know what if these past couple years have taught us anything it's that really with God on our side we can't let anything rattle us right like nothing nothing we can't let it rattle us So, listen, we're going into Easter weekend, and I don't know what kind of craziness you've had this week going on, but I just want to encourage you today, like, let's just take a moment to rest in the fact that God knows your name. Like, he knows it. He speaks it. He spoke you into existence. He knows you. Man, it feels good to be known by God. First, uh, in John chapter 21, I'm going to read just verse 17 real quick and then we're going to pray. It says, the third time, Jesus talking to Peter, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for loving us, for calling us by name. I thank you that you see us and you do know all things. And today, God, as we lean into your word, I ask that you would speak clearly um, to our hearts today what you would want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I just want to tell a story, a story that we're all pretty familiar with, a story of Peter and the Bible and a little bit of his journey and how it intersects with Palm Sunday. But I just want to look at Peter. I, I like Peter um he was a little bit um hmm. they called him the zealot now when you're a teacher and a kid has kind of a, a an exciting character trait you have to frame it in the right way right yeah um so i feel like it was somewhere you know jesus was a teacher so he, you know we f- hear that phrase in there that peter was a zealot that's a nice way for saying he lacked some impulse control <laughs> right he he was a little bit impetuous he had big feelings all throughout the time we hear about peter he just felt things big When other people, we'll we'll get to the story today, when other people just rowed to shore, like just paddled the boat on over to Jesus, Peter like jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus. It doesn't tell us if he got there first, but there's a good chance he probably didn't since he was swimming in a robe and they were just in the boat, right? (laughs) So I like Peter because I feel like maybe sometimes that's a little bit like me. (laughs) But I want to talk about the story of, of Peter and really... The story of Peter being a little bit the story of me and probably of you. In Luke chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, we see Peter be called. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Don't you love This, this is another way I love Peter. He's like, this is not going to work. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to let you know ahead of time that I already know it's not going to work. None of y'all have done that, right? I'm not looking at the front row of the people who work with me all the time. But maybe that is a little bit resonated with me. Um, that Peter's like, I'm going to do it, God. But, but I'm just wanting you to know that I've pretty much thought through this. And I'm not really sure that it's going to work. <laughs> just letting you know. But we'll go ahead and do it just because you asked. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Then skipping down to verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astounded at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. This is the story of Peter being called and let me tell you he he had some questions, he had some big feelings. He fell at Jesus's feet. He definitely had a salvation moment, right? A realization that this was really somebody big. And instantly when he saw what Jesus could do, he fell at his feet. It was look Jesus didn't tell Peter to repent. Peter knew he needed to repent when he realized who Jesus was standing there. When he realized that this man commanded the fish to jump into nets, he instantly knew that he needed to fall on his knees. He had a moment with Jesus that changed him. For the next three years, Peter went everywhere with Jesus, saw all the things. The Bible says that Jesus did so many things that it could not even all be recorded. Peter saw all of those things. All the miracles. All the healings. Heard all the teachings. He walked with Jesus for three years. And then we get to the weekend that is symbolized this holy week. I'm going to start our story today really on Palm Saturday. I don't really know what to call it. It's the day before the triumphal entry. Palm Saturday. Jesus and his disciples went and had dinner at the home of Lazarus. Now we remember Lazarus, right? The guy who was dead, that Jesus raised from the dead. To me, it's significant that one of the last meals that Jesus had, he had with Lazarus, the only other person who knew what it was like to be dead. And be raised back up. It says that Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. And they had a meal. And Mary anointed Jesus' feet. And they were there together. And then the next day was Palm Sunday. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want to express this. I have, since I was a little girl, not really got why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Like, let's have a whole Sunday to celebrate how everybody worshiped Jesus and then promptly turned on him. Like, this really wasn't Jesus' followers' finest moment, right? Like, why do we celebrate this particular day? I don't get it. And then I thought, and then I began to process and think, has anybody ever really talked about or told me how we got to this point? Like, they just saw Jesus and spontaneously they started waving palm fronds at him. What triggered them to want to call out to him and say that he was king? What was that? Where was Jesus the night before the triumphal entry? He was at Lazarus' house. I'm pretty sure it was pretty significant that Lazarus had died and was risen again. In fact, in this passage of scripture, we find out that the same people who were after Jesus to be killed were plotting to kill Lazarus. Because his very existence, his rebirth, his resurrection was a threat to the system. Because it proved that Jesus might actually be who he said he was. They were plotting to kill Lazarus too. People were coming. Crowds were coming. Why were they there? They were there because of Lazarus. Listen to me. People flock to miracles. Miracles. If somebody wins the lottery, it doesn't matter if you know them, you know them. I may never have been to your house, but if you win $20.6.4 million, honey, we are related, right? It's okay. My brother buys lottery tickets for Christmas presents for us sometimes. If I win, you my family too, right? When a miracle takes place... People show up. Crowds had come from all over just to see Lazarus and Jesus who had raised him from the dead. Boy, those two were creating a stink. And the Pharisees didn't like it. And so all of those people came. And they began to throw out palm branches and sing Hosanna, about Jesus riding in on this donkey because they knew that he had done a miracle. Here's the question I want to know. Were those palm branches still there crushed underfoot when Jesus walked by a few days later carrying a cross? Did the same people who threw palm branches and celebrated the miracle of Jesus' work then crush the same branches under their feet? As they hurled insults at him and called out for him to be crucified. Because in the same breath that we celebrate the miracles, we oftentimes find ourselves criticizing the Savior. Peter was along for this journey. He was at the dinner with Lazarus. He walked with Jesus through the triumphal entry. And then it came the days of preparation. And Jesus set out for a few days to do everything in his power to prepare the disciples for him leaving. You know, when you have to leave your child for the first time with somebody else and you make the list of all the things, right? Don't let them eat this. No matter what they tell you, no, they cannot build a tent in the living room and watch Minecraft videos all night long. And you begin to go through the whole list of preparation, right? And then you're telling your child, behave yourself. Don't act a fool when you get there. Like it's a whole thing, right? To prepare to leave. It's a whole thing. And Jesus spent days trying his best to prepare Peter and the other disciples for the fact that he was leaving. He did so many things to prepare them. He predicted his death. He told them, hey, I'm going to die, but don't be afraid. He told them that his death was coming. He washed their feet and cleansed them and reminded them of who they were because it was going to be so easy to forget their identity once he walked away for a moment. And he wanted them to remember who they were, and he washed their feet. He told Peter of his coming denial. Peter, I know you you don't know yet, but you're going to deny me. He took communion with them. He comforted them. He prayed for them. And he did everything he could to prepare them for what was coming. And then the time came for him to be arrested. And he was in the garden. And Simon Peter The zealot showed up again, right? (laughs) They came to arrest Jesus. And in Luke, um, I mean, John chapter 18, verse 10 and 11, it says, then Simon Peter, who had a sword. Don't you wonder, like, if when writing this, he was like, did nobody tell him to bring a sword? We didn't know he had the sword. But Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I told you this was coming. (laughs) And Peter struck out. And in just a few verses... We see Peter who had fallen at his feet before Jesus. Peter who had seen the miracles. Peter who had sat at the table and ate with Lazarus who had been dead and now was alive. Peter who had defended Jesus with a sword. Peter who had walked with Christ. Now that Jesus has walked away, now that Jesus has stepped out of the frame of the moment, Peter instantly falls to denial. And he denies Christ. In John chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. Peter. And he replied, I am not. A few verses later in verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, whoops, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. He denied Jesus. Do you know, we don't see a mention of Peter at the crucifixion. He wasn't there. He walked away. Walked away. And he was lost. In John chapter 21... We find that Peter went back to what he knew. He starts out and it says, I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. It's all he knew. It was familiar to him. You know, the thing about sin and the thing about a life separate from God is that in the moment it can feel comfortable and familiar. Sin is always happy to welcome us back with open arms. Now, fishing wasn't a sin. No worries there. But going back to where he was before Jesus found him, man, in an instant, Guys, listen, hey, you don't have to worry. I'm I'm giving you some encouragement here in the midst of this. If you have struggled with doubt, if you have struggled with maintaining a consistent connection with Christ and who he is, hey, you're in good company. Peter literally saw Lazarus be dead and then saw him not be dead. And still he struggled and walked away. And then we have the moment where this story starts to turn around. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into that boat. But that night they caught nothing. Does it sound familiar? Luke chapter 5. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, mm, how powerful is that? The man who denied him who walked away, who did not stand by him while he died on that cross. The man who denied him, who had been with him, who had seen all that he had done, who loved him. The man who turned and walked away the first time he sees him again. He says, friends, I'm going to be honest. I don't know I could do it. I don't I'm sure I'm not the only one that have had people disappoint me I know I've disappointed people it would be hard in that moment that someone who was supposed to stick by you someone you had worked hard to prepare for your departure had turned their back and walked away and yet Jesus standing on the shoreline calls out to him friend have you any fish? <laughs> no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, now pause right there. You remember the first time Jesus told Peter to throw his nets into the water? What did Peter do? I mean, we're going to do it, but I'm just telling you we've been doing it all day and it hadn't been working, right? Oh, but this moment, this moment, there's something different. Because you see, now he's back where he started. But with the difference is, is that he's already lived through where he was. So at this moment, where he is back at the start, lost and broken again, fallen away, in denial. This time, when he hears Jesus' voice call out to him, friend, put your net into the water. There is not a hesitation. There is not a, we shouldn't do this. Because the awareness in him, I know that miracle speaking voice. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus did not change the size of the miracle because of his lack of faith before. Jesus didn't give him less fish this time because he had messed up the first time. It said the nets still were unable to hold the weight. Of the fish coming in. Because let me remind you as far as the east is from the west. They hauled in the fish. The disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off And he jumped into the water. (laughs) Oh, Peter, I get you, friend. I get you. My gosh, how many times have I forgotten the goodness of God? How many times has disappointment and discouragement robbed me of the reminder of who Jesus is? How many times have to get so far removed from the miracle of what Jesus did in my life that I have forgotten who he is. Peter, I get you. I get you. He was disappointed with himself. He was disappointed with Jesus. And he went back to where he was. But just like he did for Peter, he keeps showing up on our shorelines. (laughs) the exact same spot he just keeps showing up over and over and over again the pain of discouragement that we have from our own choices that we've made the pain of discouragement that we have from the choices that other people have made it can really lead us to turn away when we have gotten to a place where we are so far removed from that memory of the goodness of God. That we don't realize that we're walking and crushing the palms under our feet. But the hope of the resurrection shows us that there is no disappointment. There is no brokenness that he can't overcome nothing is so dead including our faith that he can't resurrect it nothing is so dead that jesus can't resurrect it lazarus had begun to stink and jesus raised him from the dead nothing is too dead Listen, today I want to tell you something. Those relationships in your life, they are not too dead. Those situations in your life, they are not too dead. That person that you're praying and believing for, they are not too dead. There is nothing beyond the reach of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Nothing. So listen today, whatever part of your own heart, whatever part of your own mind that may be feeling disconnected and away and pushed apart from God, whatever part of you has felt to turn itself away from God, today he's standing on your shoreline and he's calling out, friend, hey, friend, hey, nothing's too dead for me. Not even your faith. He wants you to know that he's here at your shoreline. No matter how much you've denied him, No matter how far out you've pushed your boat, man, he's on your shore. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, by the time they got to shore, this is what's great. Jesus was already cooking fish. He didn't even wait for them to bring any that they caught. It's like he can do crazy, amazing things. Maybe he still had a couple left from when he divided them up. He had already cooked the fish for them. And he fed them. Mm. He fed them. And then it says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered and said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Oh, Peter. <laughs> you quickly forget. <laughs> but Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. See, in that moment right there, Peter ate. And he was restored and he was sent out to do what he was called to do. Even though he had gone all the way back to the start. All the way back to the start. So like I said, I don't, I've never really understand why Palm Sunday is like a celebration Sunday, right? Like we, I remember being a little kid and like carrying palm branches in, right? While well, one of my friends is like pretending to be Jesus. And I thought, this is the worst Like, these people literally turned on him a day later. (laughs) Why are we celebrating this? But James said it this morning about the triumphal entry. He talked about it. And I think what we need to remember is that Palm Sunday, celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry, it's really... Yes, he came in and he was triumphant. And then we begin Holy Week and he was betrayed and all of that. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what those broken palms crushed on the ground remind me. It reminds me that Jesus is not a fair weather friend, even though I am. He was not a fair weather God. He knew what was coming. He knew those very people were going to turn against him and deny him. He knew and yet he still came. And walked through. So we don't glamorize Palm Sunday. We see it for what it is. A reminder of who we are in this story. And where we can find ourselves. So how do we, in this moment, recognize Jesus on our shoreline? Listen, I'm going to tell you today, there's people watching. There's people in this room. we're all at different places. Some of you may be very far away from God right now. You may have completely about-faced, turned away. You may not even know why you're here. You may be far away. And some of you may be in a season in your life where you feel closer to Jesus than you've ever felt before. And that's wonderful. But we always need the reminder because let me tell you something. When we are at a moment where we are close to Jesus, we must always remember that at any moment in time, we are often fair weather and we are not guaranteed that everything is going to go great. And there could be a moment just around the corner, just a few verses away that could really push us and test us and give us the absolute opportunity to deny and walk away from Christ. And I pray that is not the case for anyone in here. But life has taught us enough to know. We do not know one moment from the next. We are not promised one moment from the next. And so we must always be making sure that we are listening to the voice of Jesus calling out to us on the shoreline. And we must always be diligent in walking towards him and running towards him. And if you paddle your boat, they're great. But today I want to tell you, if you're desperate for Jesus, if you're far away from him, jump out of the boat. Start running up there because the great thing is the moment, the moment that you respond to his call, he begins to prepare for you everything that you need to be restored and made whole and put back right on the path you need to go on. Because let me tell you something, in all those years that Peter walked with Jesus, he didn't do one miracle. Jesus did. But from the moment that Jesus turned him loose from the side of that shoreline, full, fed, restored, and reinstated, Peter walked out. And what does the word tell us about Peter? Upon this rock I will build my church. Because he had been far away and he had been close and he had been far away and he had been close and he had been restored and reinstated and God had changed everything and he knew that he was just Peter the zealot who cut off ears who had big questions and big feelings who denied God and yet God still showed up still showed up for him Today we need to recognize that our life confirms or denies our connection to Christ. I don't know what the future holds, but I can pretty much guarantee you that today nobody's going to come up to you and threateningly say, do you believe in God or not? And we live right now in a moment where you're pretty safe to say, yeah, I do. So it's not so much about you saying, yes, I'm a Christian or no, I'm not. It's realizing that your life expresses whether or not you are a follower of Christ or not. Brendan Manning has this quote that says, The greatest single cause of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Peter walked out and he denied God with his lips. But let me tell you something. Our actions speak far louder than our words. Are our lives a reflection of our connection to Jesus? Do our lives confess that Jesus is who he says he is? Or are our lives a denial of him? Oh, Jesus, convict my heart today. Recognize that the restoring grace of Jesus is always on your shoreline. His grace is sufficient. Here's the thing about Jesus' grace. If you're standing on a mountain and you're worried that there might not be enough air for you to breathe, what if if we run out of oxygen? Just breathe. You're not going to run out of air. And you're not going to run out of grace. You cannot exhaust grace. It's there for you. So recognize it. That's the grace that restores relationship. It restores hope. And today, listen, just as Peter denied, we have to know that there are times where may, our words may not deny Christ, but our hearts may. But he wants to reinstate us and restore us today. And then the last thing that Jesus did was he gave Peter a mission to feed my sheep recognize today that our love for Jesus is proven by a life that's lived for Jesus feed my sheep and when we fail there's grace but a life that loves Jesus loves other people it's lived in that way Peter's story is my story I'm sure it's your story and Paul in Romans chapter 8 kind of summed up that story for us who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it is God who justifies when there is one who condemns no one Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to the slaughter. But no, these things were not more, but through these, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, nor any height, nor any depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love that God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our story. It's Peter's. It was Paul's. And it's ours. From your shoreline to shoreline, he loves you. Do you love him? Come to the shore and let him restore you and reinstate you. Let him fill you up. Let him feed your spirit, feed your soul today. Palm Sunday reminds us Easter is coming. But before the resurrection, there was a whole lot of rough days. And you may be in some rough seasons and rough moments. And like I said, if you're not, that's wonderful. But hey, listen, life has a pattern. We're all going to face it. We are all going to face difficulty. But our theme this Easter is resurrecting hope. Oh, don't you know when Peter realized what he had done? Oh. Don't you know when that rooster crowed and reminded him that Jesus told him he was going to deny him and he had done it? Don't you know that when he said, I'm just going to go fish, that what his heart was saying is, I've messed it up. I messed it all up. I'm just done. I'm just, I'm useless. I'm just going to go back to fishing. That's the only thing I know. That knows me. It's comfortable. I'm just going back. I'm done. I'm useless. It's over with. Can't you see his face like yours when you realize? that you're not where you thought you would be that things didn't go all the ways that you wanted them to go that you're not doing everything you thought you would that you've been a mess up and you've made mess ups don't you see your own face in Peter's when he says I'm just gonna go fish and then the voice of Jesus friend put out your nets Come eat with me. Do you love me, Peter? You know, God, I love you. Yeah, he knows. He's just reminding you that he knows you love him. And he still loves you. (laughs) He knows there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus. And there's nothing that can separate you from the plan he has for your life. And this is the hope that was resurrected. Can we stand this morning for a moment? That little chorus, all my love, all my love, from this song. We just want to take a moment today, just sing through this chorus a couple times before James comes to close us out today. Listen. Listen. As we sing this chorus, all my love, all my love, you can have it all. All my love, all my love, you can have it all. Can we just see that as a response to Jesus standing on the shoreline? He's standing here in front of you and he's calling out to you. today or whether you are right here with him still let this be our hearts cry today Oh my love God Peter do you love me you know I love you then feed my sheep do you love me yes I love you Lord all my love let this be our hearts cry this morning